Get ready to step into scripture with Matt and Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to the Step Into Scripture podcast. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm the author of the book Step Into Scripture, and this is my husband, Matt. And I'm the pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church in Conway, South Carolina, and thrilled to be here. Thank you all for joining us again. We are moving in 2024 chronologically through the whole Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. So if you're following this podcast with us weekly, you know that right now in our reading, we are on week eight. If you're using the Step Into Scripture book or the Chronological Blue Letter Bible Reading Plan, that stays 50 to 56. And this week we have read Leviticus 19 through 27 and Numbers 1 through 6. So that's What we've read and what we're going to unpack specifically this week is Leviticus chapter 19. Now, if you read Leviticus 19, if you're following along in the reading plan, you might have come to the end of that chapter with more questions than answers Hmm. because Leviticus 19 feels like a lot of random instructions. Why is this even in here? How is it applicable to me? And we talked about this before. A lot of people who commit to reading the whole Bible, check out of their Bible reading plan when they come to the book of Leviticus for this very reason. And what's even worse than that, besides just thinking this is not relevant, there's no point in reading it, some people actually misuse verses from Leviticus 19 to negate other verses from the book of Leviticus or other verses in the Bible. And I want to just give you an example of that. In our reading last week, we ended on Leviticus 18, and Leviticus 18.22 says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. So this is a verse that's often used to show that homosexuality is a sin, which is a hot topic because it's culturally acceptable, but it's still biblically wrong. And often if someone quotes Leviticus 18.22 to show that truth, they might be met with, well, what about Leviticus 19.19 that says, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials, as if that verse negates the other verse. Well, we're wearing clothing woven of two kinds of materials right now, but that doesn't make that verse untrue, and it doesn't make Leviticus 18 untrue either, and so that's why we want to dig into this, and and we'll just note here that as Christians, as God's people, if we're going to use his word, we need to be equipped in how to handle his word. We need to be able to answer these questions, and so we really hope that this episode is helpful to you in that way. And so, another piece that I think is important there, without moving on and leaving anybody wondering, well, what does that mean? Because the, the point of that is people saying you're hypocrites. You are against homosexuality, but you'll wear clothes woven of two different types of materials, and, and people will have farms with multiple seats. It was still about purity. Right. It wasn't about, it wasn't that God was saying the clothes woven out of two types of material and the field were impure or was sin. He was doing that as an example in this context of purity. Right. Of laying out, I want everything about you to be pure. Therefore, this is impure. So I want even the way you dress to come across as pure. Right. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at these elements of holiness that we find through all these verses in Leviticus 19. What is this about? Yeah, well, one is a picture of purity. The other is a physical purity. Right. 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 And it's so all about holiness. It's really important to remember that God did one to create a picture of purity in an illustration 
to hammer home the point about physical purity. Yes. So in our last episode, we dug into the ideas of clean and unclean. And when we did that, we noted that when we find these terms used in Leviticus, they are used to describe the condition of something relative to its ability to be in the presence of God. So if something was going to be in God's presence or if someone was going to be in God's presence, they had to be clean, ceremonially clean, physically clean, and morally clean. And that's the same idea that we're dealing with here in the book of Leviticus is in order to be in God's presence, we have to be holy because God is holy. And that really is the summation of the whole book of Leviticus. We find it in this very chapter, Leviticus 19 verse 2 says, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So that's what we're going to dig into today. Why is it so important for us to be holy and how do we attain holiness based on what feels like a whole bunch of random instructions in Leviticus chapter 19. Well, if we want to understand holiness, uh, we have to, again, put on a biblical set of glasses to be able to go back and look at what holiness was. Because we live in a time today where holiness is confusing because we hear a lot of stuff is holiness, right? And so you go to church and they're like, oh, I caught holiness uh, or a church of holiness. And Oftentimes, that's put into the, the way we act in worship, um, which you can, you can be holy in worship, but it's not the charisma of how you worship that creates the holiness. Right. Right. Another thing we look at is a church that is a holiness church. Well, that's not indicative of the powers we have or the abilities we have. It's about the pursuit of God and what we are. So holy is to cut apart to separate, to remove from. And so our act of holiness is removing the worldly things, the secular things, coming closer to God. And so if you look even at the layout of the tabernacle, the tabernacle's layout was this almost diagram of how to get into God's presence, into holiness. As we're looking at it, we're seeing the the absolute purest place is the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, the mercy seat would be in God's presence. And we look at how we get there. It's a gradual development all the way from the time of purification of prayer from the priest to the priest being baptized multiple times throughout this process. The the incense that would have to be burned as prayers were offered up, the sacrificial system of sacrifice to atone for before you could go into the presence, the passing beyond the curtain that separated God's presence from us. But it was, it was a process designed in the structure of God's tabernacle for us to understand this isn't a you just walk in the presence of God because you're holy. Right. This is a pursuit. It's a journey. The important thing is holiness is a gradual personal work, right? Yeah. And so if we look at sanctification, that's what the New Testament talks about, becoming holy through a process, yeah. the walk of Christ. And it's not that I'm sinless or I'll ever become sinless. It's that I will sin less yes. and less, right? Um, if you look at Hebrews chapter nine, the Hebrew author does a beautiful job of showing how this all points towards Jesus because we cannot become holy on our own. We cannot be holy enough on our own, but Jesus can take away sins. Jesus holiness can cover us and we could come into his place to get a very practical picture of what this call to holiness looks like in our lives. We look at Leviticus chapter 19. And it's first, this may, like Tina said, seem like just a bunch of rules, a bunch of random rules even. 
But if we look at it through this lens of holiness, of yeah. how am I getting closer to God? How am I coming out of Egypt and getting away from a pagan culture before I move into another pagan culture? How am I solidifying my walk with God and my relationship with God so that I'm holy in my daily life and I'm strong enough to face this new culture I'm going into? Look at Leviticus 19.1. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am, am holy. So again, it sounds like a lot of random rules, but God doesn't just say be holy because I'm holy and not walk you into how to do right, that. Right, exactly. So let's, <clears throat> let's look at the elements of holiness that we find throughout this book. And we're going to cover every verse in chapter 19, not necessarily in order, more thematically, as we look at these elements. And the first thing that we find as an element of holiness required by God in Leviticus 19 is separateness. So we see this in verse four, it says, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourself. I am the Lord, your God. Matt, you just talked about how the Israelites came out of this pagan culture in Egypt and in the land where they were going, which was Canaan. Again, like you said, they were going to live among people who worship all kinds of false deities. And they were supposed to be separate. Yeah, they you're going to be among to, them, but don't be like them. Right. Don't take part in anything that they're doing. And so many verses that might seem like random useless instructions in Leviticus 19 are actually calls to separateness. So here's another one. Uh, verses 5 through 8 says, When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be responsible because they have desecrated what is holy and they must be cut off from their people. I love that God is also pointing out, if you're going to do something for me, don't procrastinate it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we talked last week in our episode about cleanliness that God had instituted these rules for ritual cleanliness. He also instituted rules for ritual propriety in worship. And that's what we're seeing here. When you are making an offering to the Lord, there are ways that it's supposed to be done so that it's in order. And this points us ahead toward the New Testament. We can compare this to instructions that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he specifically tells the early church what is proper in worship. So worship, both in the old covenant, like we're reading right now, and worship in the new covenant that we see in the New Testament was not supposed to be tainted by heathenism or superstition or human values. Instead, worship needed to be thoroughly scriptural and what is holy to the Lord was not to be profaned so that our worship to God would invite blessings and not punishment from him. And that's really what we're seeing here. And the early church really struggled with this because yeah. those who had lived under this law understood holiness in the law, and they tried to push it on the Gentiles. And I love that the Jerusalem council actually had to have a meeting where they understood we're putting too much on them. Yeah. But what did they come down to? Don't be sexually immoral. Don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. Remove the idolatry from your life. Don't eat things with blood still in it. So, I mean, we're looking at this separation from the pagan culture right. again, but they're saying, listen, we're not getting into the clothes. We're not getting into those things, but we are saying be holy. Right. There's a way that God wants to be worshiped. He defines holiness and he doesn't leave us guessing. 
He gives instructions in the Old Covenant and he gives instructions in the New Covenant. So here's some more. Verse 19 says, keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. So what is he saying here? Keep your animals separate. Keep your seeds separate. Keep your materials separate. And again, they're odd rules, but they're just emphasizing the separateness that God wanted for Israel so that they could be holy. And, and it's also, you know, there are people that say, oh, well, today we've got dogs that are bred two different, two different breeds of dogs. It's not what he's saying. He's saying kinds. Right. So he's saying don't breed dogs and cats. Yeah. It's not going to work for one, but two, it's an abomination. Right. Yeah. So it's not saying like interracial marriage today is wrong on a race level. Right. But and so people try and use those things. They try and twist. And if we don't study, if we're not looking at the Bible and we skip over these passages, that's why they become weaponized. Right. Yes. And that's that's the whole goal here is we want to develop a contextual and correct understanding of all of God's word. Here's some more. Verses 26, 27, and 28 say, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Okay, I got to just hit that one. That does not mean rare meat. That means meat where the animal just died and it's still draining blood out of it, right? And so a lot of people try and say, oh, well, the person's eating meat and they like it rare and that's, that's, uh, that's evil. Or to you, that's evil. No, this was a pagan practice because people believed they were absorbing the life force. And we know that there's a life force in blood. And so people, this was a divination. This was right. a wicked practice people were doing. So he goes on to say, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. And verse 31 says, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. So like you're saying, Matt, all of these things that we've just named were pagan customs of the Canaanites, of the Egyptians. And so the point is that holiness does not emulate the godless culture around us, but it stands in sharp contrast. We are a called out people. We are supposed to be different and we have to be in the world, but we are not supposed to be of the world. And so real quick, just for people. Um, just so that people understand, we would never sidestep. Cutting the hair at the sides of your head or clipping off the edge of your beard, not about trimming your hair, and not about having to grow the hair at the sides of your head or trimming your beard, again, in pagan ritualistic manners. Like people that cut their bodies in mourning for the dead or tattooed their bodies with the ashes of a loved one or an enemy that they believed they empowered themselves with it. The same way as today, we do not turn to mediums or spiritualists because those things defile us before yeah. God. They remove our trust from God. They remove our strength from God. We have to remain, again, holy, pure, separate from those things. And Jesus spoke to the same thing in the New Testament. John 17, 14 through 16, this is how Jesus prayed for his disciples. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And that really is what we're seeing here is a call to separateness, being in the world, but not of the world, not looking like the pagan culture. Yeah, so it moves us into integrity, right? Yeah. And the Apostle Paul actually dealt with this on a different level in, in Corinth where he talked about women not cutting their hair, not shaving their head. Well, this was a pagan thing they were looking at. Women, this was a, a degrading thing in that culture he's talking to them about because you have to have integrity with Christ. So we look at these pieces of Leviticus and say, do not steal, verse 11. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. 
Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. And I love that he emphasizes with, I am God, and I'm saying yeah. this, right? Yeah. He says, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity, meaning don't cheat people in business. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and an honest hen, two, measuring, uh, two uses of measurement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So integrity is associated with honesty. I've noticed no one uses the integrity passages to challenge the Bible and say, well, you still do this, right? But the truth of it is being the same person privately who you are going to be publicly is important. To call yourself holy, to present yourself as righteous, but then stealing, lying, deceiving, defaming, withholding the truth from people. Um, these are unholy actions. So we can present ourselves as really great Christians, right? Yeah. But what destroys people's faith when they say, oh, I got hurt by Christians? It's normally when they see a person who presents themselves as holy, but in truth, are, they're falling away from these basic integrity pieces of holiness, right. right? So then we look at justice. And justice is a scary word. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. In verse 20, it says, if a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put, they are not to, be put to death because she has not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. So in these two places, you're like, wait a minute, the first one sounded good. The second one, not so much. Right. Right? Because justice is not about always carrying out the punishment, but sometimes it's vindicating. But then there is a point of like, well, God, what is the deal here? Why is this guy's punishment for sleeping with this woman who's a slave? And it sounds like he's condoning slavery just that he brings a sacrifice. And justice is divinely righteous action that promotes the well-being and equality of all humanity. And sometimes it serves to vindicate. We can look at verse 15. And sometimes it's serving uh, by punishing oppressors. We see that in verse 20 through 22. And either way, the goal is always to return humanity to an equilibrium where the wrongs have been made right and the impoverished are restored prosperity. Uh, But one thing's important is, why doesn't God vindicate this slave more? What culture at this time do you see vindicate a slave at all? Right. You know, and we forget that God is moving them out of slavery. Um, In the 21st century culture, we would look at this and we say, this is deplorable. This is, this is, this woman has no rights. And, and today that's, that's deplorable. But we forget this was a time where women had no rights and God is creating rights. Yes. You know, and you don't create rights immediately. You walk people into it. Uh, One thing we see throughout American history, we ended slavery, but because we didn't walk out of it, we didn't do it properly. We didn't do it with the the long-term goal of restoration in mind. We wound up with some severe segregation. We wound up with racism, hatred. We wound up with Jim Crow laws. We wound up, and it's taken us so long trying to find our way out. This is historical. But God walked his people properly. And because of God's word, slavery has ended around the world. Yes. Right? And so we got to remember 
that this particular circumstance in which someone had already broken the law that was given, you shall not commit adultery. That's Exodus 20, 14. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We got to remember that God is not only setting a standard, but he's moving them towards holiness. Right. So this is not where it's going to end. God's going to continue working with them, and he's going to keep moving them to holiness to where we can do away with slavery. We can do away with injustice, and all people can be equal. Right. That whole law about the sacrifice, the, the reparation that's required because a man sleeps with the female servant of another man, God had to do that as a caveat to the law because the law he had already laid down, like you mentioned, and the commandments hadn't been followed to start with. I mean, this is God's grace on display that we mess it up. And he goes, okay, you've messed it up. Instead of just wiping you out, let me tell you what to do in this scenario. So a fourth element of holiness, we've seen separateness, we've seen integrity, we've seen justice, but probably the most important element is love. And we don't typically read Leviticus 19, like we do 1 Corinthians 13, and think, oh, the love chapter. This has got to be a first. Yeah, <laughs> but there are some elements of love that we need to see this. So the laws given in Leviticus 19 don't just command us to love, but they actually teach us how to love by displaying attributes of love. And we want to look at a few of those attributes of love because something we've talked about often is love, the meaning of that, has been lost in our culture today. What even is love? Well, the scripture tells us, yeah. tells us what love is. So number one is love honors. Let's look at a few verses. 19.3 says, each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. And then verse 30 says, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Wow. So love honors God and honors people, right? That's what Jesus said were the, the greatest and the second greatest commandments. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in, in verse three and verse 30 of Leviticus 19, that's what God is saying. Honor your parents and honor me because love honors. You know what's amazing is he calls... In verse 30, he says, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. That has a whole new meaning in the New Testament. Yeah. You rest on the Sabbath to observe God, but you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so you take care of his sanctuary. Yeah. Right? Man. That is All right. Awesome. So verse 23 says, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. And then verses 24 and 25, in the fourth year, all of the fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God. So on the surface, these sound like just good horticultural practices. So beyond the wisdom, though, of, of waiting for uh, fruit to be more mature and for the yield of the tree to increase, there's an idea of being good stewards of the land that God was giving to them and being grateful and crediting God for the increase and in the provision that he gave. So we express love for God as we honor him in our use 
of what he's provided for us and our praise that we offer for his provision. And, and there's a financial submission in this, you can see. It's like, okay, so today, as soon as we start making, we start spending. Yeah. And God's like, no, for three years, I don't want you to consider this yours. In the fourth year, I want you to remember me. And then as we go, we're going to give it to you. And that's, that's an expression of love. I yeah. mean, that really is a love you're, passage. You're working, for, you're working for three years to get to where you have good fruit. Yeah. And when it's good, you give it to me. And then I provide for the rest of your life. Right. So love honors. Mm -hmm. Another attribute of love that we find in Scripture is that love protects. So what does this look like in Leviticus 19? Well, verse 14 says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear, Amen. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Verse 29 says, do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. And then verses 33 and 34 say, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged, Amen. show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. So what we're seeing here. Well, respect the elderly and revere the Lord. Your yeah, God. this is how love protects. And what we've just read about are several verses that describe how we're to treat vulnerable people. So those with handicaps, young girls, immigrants, the elderly, these people are vulnerable, and so they're more easily exploited or abused. But holiness dictates that they be treated with a special consideration and love because they bear the image of our holy God who we revere. So to curse the deaf or to trip the blind or to degrade your daughter or to oppress the foreigner or to disrespect the elderly, all of these are examples of taking unfair advantage of a vulnerable person who can't rise to their own defense. And holiness demands that we show protection for the vulnerable because love protects and love is an element of holiness. Yeah, I think it's important to look at where it says, and revere your God. It's not saying do these things and then revere your God. Right. It's revering God by doing these things. Something Tina's talked about on this podcast before is our, our home church is a shine ministry. Yeah. And this ministry serves the people with disabilities. And it does it in a way to where they are prioritized, they are cherished. If you missed that episode, you really should check it out. It's on season two, episode 11, titled, Why Are Some People Born With Disabilities? It's worth noting again that the, this is a requirement of the church. Yeah. And a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, we can't. And I've said this before to other church leaders. They're like, oh, one day we'd like to afford to do something like that. And I tell people, you afford a preschool, you afford a, ki a kindergarten class, a children's class. If you can make room for parts of the body that are crucial to the family coming so they can tithe, then you need to be able to make parts of the body that may not be able to financially contribute an essential part of the body. Make room. Yeah. Take time. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us not to treat any part of the body as less than the other parts of the body. And so as a church, our job is not to gather, but our job is to protect, to defend, to serve all parts of the body that can't serve themselves. Yes. So we see here that love honors, love protects. Another attribute and expression of love is that love 
pursues. So verses 17 and 18 in Leviticus 19 say, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now it's common today, and apparently it was also common in the ancient Near East, that people hated others and they held grudges, but that's unholy because love pursues, it seeks to right a relationship, to have honest conversations and to hopefully achieve reconciliation whenever that's possible. But this is hard because it involves taking your offense to the person you're offended by and speaking to them directly. And that's not generally what people do, right? We spread gossip, just like we saw in verse six, what you read about integrity as an attribute of holiness. We're not supposed to gossip and slander, but often people choose that over going directly to someone and pursuing them when there's been an offense, but love does pursue. Now the apostle Paul, he said basically the same thing in the New Testament in Romans 12, 17 and 18, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So these are attributes of love, love honors, love protects, love pursues. And a final attribute that we see modeled in Leviticus 19 is that love sacrifices. Listen to verses nine and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Probably not a verse that most people would point toward to express an attribute of love, right? Yes, but it's a very important passage for us to understand because in this, God had, a, this was a, a system of, I hate to use the word welfare, but this was how God took care of not just his people, mm -hmm. but also because he had a tithe system. He had an offering system for his people, but this is more for widows and orphans. This is for foreigners, for the people that you don't consider your people, right? right. And the thing about this is, you know, today we live in a society where people are like, okay, well, my giving's between me and God, and what I do is between me yeah. and God, and there's a place for that, and I'll show you. But this is an open act of generosity and love towards the community. Right. So notice God doesn't say how much of the outside edges. Man. Are you with me right now? Yeah. So the thing in this is God isn't saying, okay, I need you to leave three foot or 10 foot. Right. Right. And so it was very open and apparent to the community if this person was a loving person who was generous or if this person was a greedy person. See right. what I'm saying? So the depth, the width of how far your outside edges came was also how much you were willing to leave for those in need. Right. But we read passages like this, and so the Bible can become a justifier, yeah. right? So we read Matthew 6, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, right? It's not even talking about just giving here. It's talking about your righteousness. This is anything good you do right. for the glory of yourself, right? Because yeah. look at what he says. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So be careful to do the things for worldly honor and worldly respect for your glory. Remember in Isaiah, God says, I will not share my glory with another. Right. Right. And so then he says in verse two, so when you give to the needy, 
Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. He's not saying don't give, and he's not saying, well, you got to keep a private count of your offering, your tithe. Those things were commanded. They right. were set amounts, right? Yeah. But he's saying, don't be the hypocrites. They're saying, look what I'm about to do. Look at what I'm about to give. I need honor for this. I need right. recognition. He says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so this is one of those things. It's very powerful because it doesn't matter if you are obeying God, if you're obeying God for accolades of man right. and not for God's glory, then you've already received your reward and it's, it's null and void to God. Right. Right. It doesn't mean it's not going to do good. And you'll be rewarded. People will, will applaud you. Oh, yeah. And appreciate what you've done. But that's the end of it. Now, this next piece, this next piece, this is the one where people get confused. But when you give to the needy, not saying if, not saying if you choose to, right. when you give to the needy. Remember, we're going to stand before him. He's going to say, where were you when I was thirsty, hungry, naked, sick, in prison, right. lonely, right? When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that, there's a so that moment, your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he's not talking about your tithe, your offering. And he's not talking about if you give to the needy. He's talking about doing your things for the glory of man. Now remember in John 13, 35, Jesus taught by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So again, it's not a thing about, well, what I do for God is between me and God. Yeah. No. That's in his community. Right. What he's saying is the things that bring glory to you, let the glory be God's. Right. Don't seek glory for yourself, but you do what God's commanded you to do. And so in ancient Israel, a commitment to sacrificial love was something you could see in the size of the outside edges of their field. Yeah. Right. Brotherly and sisterly love is expressed in community of God's people when we hold a sense of responsibility. Yes. Like we have to have a sense of responsibility towards our Christian family. The Bible says, especially to the household of believers. Right. But these are places where God's calling us to a place to meet the needs of those who are less fortunate. Right. Those who are hurting, sacrificing of my wants, what I could have, what I feel I deserve yeah. to help somebody. Now let's look at the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this was a communal thing. But when Barnabas gave a field, they knew the size of that field. Yeah. You know what I mean? They knew the value of that field. And so in Acts 4, 32 through 35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Again, we know Barnabas gave a field because they say his name. Yeah. Right? So it's not that he's hiding the generosity in his faithfulness to his love for the church. Right. Right? And so it's because they don't believe anything is their own. Yes. They share everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, again, this is first to the church. The yeah. apostles can preach without fear because the needs are met and the people can worship knowing their needs are met because the body works as one. For from time to time, those who own land or houses sold them. It's kind of hard to miss 
when Frank goes from this house to not having this house, how big of a house he sold, right? But it wasn't valued over the small house. It was that they were all willing to sacrifice. Now look at what they did. They don't take glory and sell their house and then go distribute it to people that have need themselves. Mm -hmm. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The church gets the glory. The body, the bride of Christ gets the glory. God gets the glory. It's not that people don't know the amount of sacrifice. We don't want to become... Ananias and Sapphira. Right. Right? Yeah. We want to be honest, but we want to be in a place to where God is continually glorified because the actions in the hearts of his people. Yeah. So we've actually seen every every verse in Leviticus 19 is pointing us towards this holiness. Yeah. Even if culturally some of the references are a little bit obscure to us, like the gleanings of the edge of the field, yeah. it's still important for us. So why is holiness so important? Why is, why is holiness still so important today? Well, let's look at it and kind of go back for a minute to be in God's presence. Yeah. So we've, re- we've noted that it's required to have holiness to be in the presence of God. And only the high priest could enter the presence of God. Now, there was all the things we've talked about. We can re- recap these instructions. Um, you can look at Hebrews chapter 9, and you can look at this wasn't an easy task for an right. high priest to get into the presence But now we have Jesus as our high priest, Mm -hmm. the one who is worthy, the one who is holy. And we emulate his holiness, not because he's holy, we quit. We keep striving for it and to reflect God's character because God says, I am holy and I want you to be holy. And so we've already said it's required to be in his presence. It's something that if we don't continually walk in this sanctification, it's not saying we are holy enough but it's required to be in his presence. And so it's not saying I've done it, but I'm continually following it, right? If we are to enjoy God's presence, we must pursue holiness. Then we got to reflect on God's character. Again, be holy because I'm holy and we are his image. We are created in his image. So we're supposed to be like him. As Christians now, we must reflect Christ and Christ was holy. And so we need to have a conduct, a character that stands in contrast to the world. It doesn't look like the world. And it's something that the lost should see. Everyone should conduct themselves upright and in holy ways. As as we've received God's grace, we should reflect the character of that in our lives and in his church. And that brings us to this most important reason to attract people to God. Yeah. Right? How can they be attracted to something that's not different than what they've seen? That's right. Right? All the instructions we've read in Leviticus, they call us to this separateness, not to be like the world. The way they dressed was different. The way their hair was was different. Their ceremonial practices were different. Why? Because people ask questions. Why do you do this this way? Yeah. What is different? Why don't you do these things? We see throughout the Bible, why is it your people don't do this? Right. Right. And it opens an opportunity for people to explain And when we live in holiness and we reap the benefits of holiness, that becomes attractive to people. Right. And when people are attracted to holiness, they emulate holiness and people start finding the beauty. They they see the light in the darkness and they start coming to the light. And 3,500 years later, after this was written, these teachings are still timeless for us today. And there's still a light attracting people to holiness. Absolutely. So we hope this has been helpful for you to see that these are not irrelevant 
millennia old instructions that we should just skip over. Leviticus does not need to be where our reading plan goes to die. These things point us toward New Testament applications about how we are to live so that we can be reconciled to God, be in his presence so that we can reflect his character and so we can attract a lost world to him. Now we want to give you just a few questions to consider as we bring this to a close. Number one, how can we express separateness in our society today? It doesn't look anymore like not wearing clothing woven of two fabrics and not planting our fields with two kinds of crops. But there are plenty of ways that we can be in the world, not of the world, to express that separateness. Number two, how do you see integrity lacking and justice perverted in the world around us? Because we said integrity, justice, these are elements of holiness. And how can we act to promote integrity and justice? Yeah, don't just be fault finders. Right. Be fault fixers. That's it. Right. Number three, how is God's love, and again, let's define love, love honors, love pursues, love protects, and love sacrifices for others. Now, with that definition, how is God's love different than what our society calls love? So we'll leave you to think about those questions as you reflect on Leviticus chapter 19. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to being back with you next week when we will jump into the book of Numbers, take on a kind of heavy topic, the issue of rebellion. So we'll see you back then.